Looking for the best place to buy tickets for any of your favorite teams or sporting events? We've got the spot. Our partner, StubHub, has been the leading ticket marketplace in the world for over 20 years, providing a 100% guarantee with every order. From a worldwide selection of live events, the widest choice of tickets and industry-leading partnerships, StubHub has what you need to purchase with confidence. StubHub, an official partner of The Athletic. I want to tell you a story. It's a story about a scandal, broken relationships, gossip, rumors, money, corporate rivalry, and a broom. A performance-enhancing broom. My name is John Cullen. I'm a comedian, podcaster, and for 20 years, I was a semi-professional curler. And I want to tell you the story about how a single broom almost imploded the 500-year-old sport of curling. We felt like we were bringing a knife to a gunfight. It's the story of a superstar and his fall from grace. Oh, I was being dragged through the mud. It's the story of two brother entrepreneurs with a dream. Yeah, I said, that's great news. It's a story of intrigue. I still don't understand why we want to keep his name secret. The full story has never been told, so I'm going to tell it. Broomgate. How a broom almost killed curling. It was a year I'd like to forget. To listen to Broomgate, search for Broomgate in your favorite podcast app. That's all one word. Broomgate. We are back. It is your Thursday edition of the Athletic Hockey Show. It's Ian Mendes, very happy to be back in the Thursday time slot uh, alongside Sean McIndoo. And uh, boy, we got a lot to get into. In fact, I almost feel like we can spend the entire podcast just talking about game one of Edmonton, Calgary. But we'll certainly hit on Florida, Tampa, St. Louis, Colorado. Uh, did the Rangers squander a game one opportunity there? Um, we'll, we'll, we'll hit on all of that uh, stuff kind of opening up round two we'll hit sean on your um uh, your column your mailbag column there about uh, the toronto maple leafs and uh, we'll, we'll hit on a couple of things like that jesse granger for granger things is uh, is back we got some fun email questions some this week in hockey history which of course will hit on some playoff uh, uh moments but i'll tell you it feels like sean that we could spend 45 minutes dissecting game one Edmonton, Calgary. Now, you and I both live in the Eastern time zone, and I'm going to be very transparent with our audience here. At 5-1 Calgary, I was like, I think I'm done. I, I'm going to go to bed. Uh, you know what? I stayed up late for Colorado, St. Louis, the, over, uh, the overtime game the other night. I don't need mm -hmm. to be running myself into the ground this early in the playoffs. And I fortunately stuck around. Did you consider at 5-1 Maybe check it out, or were you? Oh in? yeah, yeah. yeah I, I I I thought about it, and I did stick around, but I got uh, uh, I got a long drive ahead of me today, so I uh, I was saying I I can't do the whole game, I, and please don't let it be overtime. And then yeah, it's five one. You go okay, good. Uh, you know, I was I was hoping for a little closer game, and then boy, and the Oilers just kept chipping back and chipping back, and it was uh, uh, it, it, I mean that's what you build on if you're Edmonton. Right. You say we were out of this game and, and we fought all the way back uh, on the road in a tough building, uh, lit up their all star goaltender who's supposed to give them such a big edge in net. Uh, you know, that's the kind of stuff you can build on. But 
it's it's going to feel a little bit hollow. But uh, that I mean, that was a great game, man. I mean, we're we're in the era these days where every every movie, every TV show from our youth gets remade. And, you know, when you remake a 30 year old classic, I don't want to see the updated version of it. I want to see. Give me what I grew up with. And that's exactly what they did. They didn't take the Battle of Alberta. We've been waiting 30 years for the sequel. They didn't take it and turn it into like the 2022 version where it's three to two and all of this stuff. No, we went right back to the mid 80s and uh, and it was wild and it was great. And uh, apologies in advance to all the uh, uh, I love defense freaks out there who uh, had to sit through that. But the other 99.9% of us thought it was uh, absolutely amazing entertainment. You know, it's funny that you say this was kind of like, hey, this is like a back to the old school uh, 80s. So I looked this up, okay? And I was, you tell me if you're surprised by this. So obviously we had 15 goals in game one, Calgary Edmonton, 9 6, 15 goals. Um, first of all, do you know the last time, maybe you saw this, I, don't, I didn't see this anywhere on Twitter. Do you know the last time we had a 15 goal playoff game was? Um, I don't know, uh, and now I'm trying to think, because the one that always sticks in my mind is, and boy, did it even get to 15? The, the, the really crazy Sabres-Senators game. That was that 7-6? That was 7-6. Yeah. Okay. Boy, 15. Uh, yeah. I, did you Do we go back to the 80s for that? Because uh, So, no, no, but but you're right. So, the la- I, so I looked this up, a couple things. The last time we had a playoff game in which both teams scored six goals, was that crazy unhinged Ottawa Buffalo game okay. yep. from 2006? That was a 7 6 game. But I was like, man, when's the last time there was 15 goals in a game? Because that seems like. Did the, uh, did the Pittsburgh Philadelphia series from 10 years ago get up to there? N- no, you would have thought uh, Breeze Galov on his own would have given up 15 <laughs> in a game. But, yeah, maybe. Uh, yep. Or Flurry. But no, no, um, none of those. You got to go all the way back to 1993. Opening round, L.A. Calgary, and it was a nine six oh. game there. Um, but 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 here's what I should have known. I should have known. Anytime you're you're talking about when was the last time something good happened, 1993. That's that's the go to season. Uh, that's awesome. All right. So what was it that surprised so, you? This is what surprised me. Uh, there's only been six games in playoff history that have had 15 goals. Does that not seem oh. weird to you? Like it does. Yeah. Like I I would have thought in the 80s it would have been like oh we you know there was six every year or something like that, you know? Yeah. Um, that is that is a lot lower than I would have thought. I I mean it playoffs are different in a few ways. I mean you you don't uh, it, obviously the the real bad teams and back in the you know in the 80s there were some really legitimately bad teams and in the 70s they don't make the playoffs so you don't get to beat them up teams tend not to want to run up the score if it's a if it's a blowout and obviously you don't get too many of those 8 to 7 games but yeah no i would have thought we'd get a few more than that just because it, like you said that that's smite division the run and gun the talent that was in there uh they were used to playing those types of games yeah so Anyway, like based on what I've looked up here, the only other times that we've had 15 goals in a in a in a playoff game, uh, obviously uh, Wednesday night Calgary Edmonton nine six, L A Calgary nineteen ninety three nine six. You might know. I feel like you've written about this game or at least this series, Pittsburgh Philly nineteen eighty nine, ten seven. 
Pittsburgh wow. beat Philly 10-7. Okay. Um, I think Mario Lemieux went off in that game, right? I'm I you know what? I'm gonna go ahead and say he did. <laughs> yeah. It feels like I'm Rob gonna... Brown may have gone off too. Yeah. Uh, uh so okay. So that's another game. Uh Edmonton LA in that crazy miracle on Manchester series in 1982 had an opening game that ended with a 10-8 LA victory, which I right. believe is the record for most yeah. goals in a playoff game. Uh Minnesota Boston in the 80s, 1981 had a 9-6 game. And yeah. then the only other game that I could find that went to 15 goals, I believe, um, was Chicago and in Montreal, an 8-7 game. I think that might be it. Like at least at least these are based on both teams scoring six goals. So yeah. I mean, there I guess there's a chance like maybe Chicago and Edmonton had a crazy series during the 80s. Yeah. Was there a they, game where there was like eleven to five or something? Like, you there, know, what? there could have been because that yeah. that series holds the that Edmonton Chicago eighty six series holds a record for most goals in a series, and it didn't even go seven games. They were, but but they also had a twelve nine game, but that was the regular season, uh, I think. After that, so yeah. So anyway, go so back and look at that. I could only find anyway. There's only a handful of games that that got to where we got yesterday. Now, here's hmm. my question. Is this a sign of what we can expect or an aberration? Like, and I'm not saying we're going to get 9-6, but like, should we expect 5-4, 6-3, or, or what are we expecting here? I mean, I, I think certainly it wouldn't be shocking to see the overcorrection uh, for game two, right? I mean, this is, this is typically the way it goes in the NHL. Everybody sits down for game two going, I can't wait for more of that. And then the two teams play it out cautious and it, it ends up being two to one. But that said, there's a ton of offensive talent on this, in this series uh, on, on both teams, um, very spread out and balanced on, on Calgary, uh, at least more so than, than Edmonton, where it's, it's two guys in the complete upper elite. And then some question marks, big question marking goal for the Oilers that, Edmonton fans know that they're sick of hearing about it, but uh, we we've been saying that all season. Uh, Calgary, you, you figured they were all set with with Jacob Markstrom, but if if he plays, you know, if he's going to hit a rough patch, and goalies do that, goalies go cold sometimes. If he gets a cold, uh, boy, now we're looking at uh, the potential for some real uh, some real big numbers. So yeah, I, I mean, let's uh, let's see where it goes. I, obviously, we're not going to see nine to six and, and that sort of thing very much in in this series, but this could absolutely be a five four series. Uh, and and great if it is, um, that would be uh, that would be real entertaining. And you know, I, the metaphor I keep going back to, and I saw quite a few people mention something like this with Calgary. They play that series against Dallas against Jake Ottinger. It's it's like swinging the bat in the on deck circle with the weight on it, right? And then you and then you bang the weight off, and you you step in and you get to take some real cuts, and you feel like Superman because you know now you're that's <laughs> yeah. that's got to be what it feels like uh, going against this Oilers team. That look, I mean, we know this is not a great defensive team. This is not a team with great goaltending, um, and this is not a team that's necessarily. Uh, afraid to go back and forth. I mean, like every other coach in the last 20 years, Jay Woodcroft doesn't want his team trying to win six to five, but 
the Oilers are not a team where if if it ends up being a back and forth track meet that they're going to shrink from that. So, uh, you know, there there are some pieces in place for us to see stuff like this again. And nothing to the extreme we just saw, but it's going to be a fun series. And uh, I, I can't wait to see how it plays out. You know what? I was thinking about this earlier, too, because I was thinking about the metaphor, because you're right. Calgary and Dallas played one of the most dry, dull, boring series, right, that we've seen in recent history. Like, it was low-scoring, tight-checking. It was low sc- it, it was boring to start with. I think that it, was it, it fair. It did get better. Yeah. It got be- the 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 last half of that series. I thought was um, even though it was still mostly low scoring. I thought that that turned into a real good series. But the first couple of games were awful. We're, yeah. Were just awful and dry and boring. And I was thinking about this today because the Flames, like you said, they almost went from one extreme to the other. Okay. And I was thinking about this. Now you have to stick with me on this analogy because I'm going to okay. take you on a bit of a ride. But oh, just. Boy. just just see if you can follow my logic here. Are you first of all, are you familiar with the Amish term rumspringa? Uh I'm I'm not I've heard okay. that word before, but I do not know what it means. Okay. So from what I get gather, rumspringa is like when 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 these kids who are in the Amish community and they've lived obviously a very kind of quiet life, when they turn a certain age, I think it's either 16 or 18, they get set free. And they get to go out and kind of indulge in secular life. And then they have to make a decision. Do I want to live, uh, you know, in that kind of freewheeling, no holds barred environment? Or do I want to return and, and live a more kind of pious, uh, quiet life? I feel like the Calgary Flames had a little bit of the rum spring out here. Okay. They, yep. It's like they left the quiet Dallas Star Series and then they play Edmonton. They're like, what is this? Like, this is crazy. But now Daryl Sutter is like trying to get yeah. everybody back onto the farm. And he's yeah. like, get, get back here. And, and I, I feel like if I was a player, I'd be like, but this was so much fun. Mm-hmm. I kind of want about, I want this. You know? That is, that is the best Amish metaphor that I've ever heard for, <laughs> yeah, for the Stanley for the Cup playoffs. Yeah. yeah. And, and Daryl, and Sutter, I mean, he had that great line last yeah. night about how people said that the last series was boring, so he told them to go out and score nine goals. And uh, but you're right. I mean, I uh, I don't know. I it's it's not often in the playoffs that you can win game one by three goals and get bag skated the next day. But I I'm curious to see what that Calgary practice looks like because um, that is not Daryl Sutter hockey. Let's just say. Um, to, to give up that many goals, especially blowing a lead the way that they did. So they, they, you know, there are some areas of concern there for Calgary. And like I say, I, uh, game two being the two, one nail biter would not uh, surprise me at all. But, um, you know, at the same time, hopefully both of these teams go, look, man, half this game is scoring goals and half of it is preventing them. And we just showed we can score on these guys. So, you know, let's, let's go ahead and do it. I, I've double checked with the NHL, the, Calgary Flames still get credit for a win, even though they gave up a lot of goals um, because they got more than the other team. And apparently that's the important thing. So um, let's uh, let's hope that the, if they got a little taste of it, maybe they push back and uh, uh, and keep going with it. All right. Uh, listen, uh, like I said, we could probably spend a lot of time just talking about Edmonton and Calgary, but uh, there are three other uh, series that are uh, are underway as well. We'll talk about that, that Ranger Carolina series, Sean, because <clears throat> I... I kind of felt like the Rangers for 57 minutes or at least for 40 minutes. And then they were three minutes away from winning. They were ready to steal one. And now I can't help but feel like, I, I don't know. I feel like Carolina woke up. I, 
I, I don't want to call a series too early and just say, you know what, it's over and this is where they lost the series. But just the way that they lost that game, I, I don't love the Rangers' chances now. Yeah, it in a way, it's sort of... It was very similar to the, the Blues-Avalanche game in that you're looking at it going, everybody's picking one team. Uh, everyone's picking the, the favorite. Uh, and despite the fact that the, the other team's a very good team and, you know, their fans can sit there and say, we're being disrespected and all of that. But, but on paper, uh, it should be, it's, it, there's a clear advantage. Road team goes in game one, uh, and hangs with them and gives them everything they can handle, even though, yeah, it's a little bit of goaltending, you know, it's a little bit, obviously in the, in the Colorado game, yeah, they kept hitting the post. Uh, but you're sitting there as a road team going, we can steal this one. And then that resets the expectations for the whole series. And then you end up in overtime and you, and you lose the game in overtime. And on the one hand, you're sitting there going, Hey, everybody said that we don't have a chance. We just showed we have a chance. We just, we hung with them. The game was as close as it could be. The flip side is when you're an underdog, you've got to steal a few. And when you have the opportunity to do it, when it's sitting right there, your goal is playing great. The bounces are maybe going your way and you don't get it done. That is tough. That is a, that is a real tough one in the, with the Rangers. I mean, it, it, at least in that game, you're looking at it and you're not saying it's not like the hurricanes were, were great for three periods and Sturkin just kept them in and, you know, tried, tried to steal it for him. The Rangers were the better team in that game. For the first two periods, pretty clearly. Um, and to do that on the road against a team as good as Carolina, um, you're happy with that. You'll you'll take it, um, but you want the win. And now you really want the split because you don't want to be going back home down to nothing. Um, obviously, the way the Pittsburgh series went, if you're the Rangers, you're not counting yourselves out. Uh, you, you know, you can you can make the the late push like they did against Pittsburgh, but this is this Carolina team is not Pittsburgh. And uh, you're at, at some point, if you're the Rangers, you're probably going to have to steal a couple. And they had it right there for them to do it and, and just couldn't get it done. And, and like you said, I think the Rangers can at least hang their hat on the fact that for 40 minutes, they were the better team. Wasn't like they're like you said, wasn't like Shosturkin and the power play carried them. They were pretty even for, for 40 minutes. So they could probably go after that game. Gerard Gallant can say, you know what, guys, um, let's regroup. I don't know what Craig Berube does, though, Sean heading into game two because it's a different way. The way St. Louis lost game one in overtime was far different. And I, I I mean, really that game should have been Colorado by four or five goals. Jordan Bennington went full uh, 2019 version of Jordan Bennington. Uh, I mean, is there any way you see this series lasting beyond five games at this juncture? You know, I've been guilty of not giving the blues enough credit uh this season really from the beginning so i don't want to sit there and say you know what this one's done it's over it's uh, you know what have you um and when it comes to jordan bennington playing as well as he did hey goaltending's part of the game uh goaltending's part of your team so uh you know if he's going to play like that uh not just for game one but if if you know, if he's going to be hot in this series, then that is that's that's part of the breakdown of how the series is going to play out. So, you know, if you're the Blues, you're sitting there going, "Look, forget about hitting the post." Uh, the you know, the 
goalposts are just shots that were going wide. Uh, forget about, you know, our goalie did this or that. We went to overtime with this team that was supposed to be unbeatable. And we were one, one more bounce away from beating them. Um, you know, and, and when it comes to the avalanche, we know the recent history, especially in the second round. Remember they yeah. were up to nothing against Vegas last year and everybody was already writing our, you know, avalanche finally breakthrough pieces and then it fell apart. So you know that if you can put a little bit of doubt in their minds, maybe that kind of takes seed and uh, and turns into something. So I'm not counting the Blues out, but this is a really, really tough matchup. Colorado is just so good. Um, they're playing so well right now. And it's it's one of those where just the nature of hockey is that you're going to get the occasional opening to to steal a game. And and you you all you got to get almost all of them and uh, and the Blues had it in game one, uh, and unfortunately for them couldn't close it out. You know, as I was watching that that series and seeing uh, you know Eric Johnson, of course, plays for the Avalanche up against the Blues, I thought, oh, that's interesting. Like I I never even thought of it that guy that was taken first overall by St. Louis is now playing against the Blues. I thought, well, how often has this happened? As you you know, you and I love our little kind of trivia and and uh, you know quirky facts and, and and anecdotes or whatever. So I decided to look it up, Sean, and thought like, how many times has a player been drafted first overall, and then later in his career ended up playing against that team in a playoff series? And it's really rare. Now I I, I mean, listen, a function of that is the Crosbys, the Ovechkins, the Pat Canes, the Lemieux's, like. They don't move teams often, right? Yeah. Like oftentimes, the last ten years, I think. I think Neil Yakupov is the last number one pick to play for a different team than the one that drafted him. Yeah. So again, so there's a little bit of rarity to this, but I looked it up all the way back to the original. Well, I guess to the start of the modern day draft in 1968. Okay, and there are only, from what I could find, four instances where a guy was taken first overall, like Eric Johnson, and he ended up playing against his his draft team later in his career in the playoffs. Like, which is, I don't know, it's kind of weird, but I, I just want to know if you have any educated guesses on who those those players might be outside of Eric Johnson. Yeah, so I'm I'm looking at, how many did you say? There's four? four in total. Okay. That's... Um, and th- th- there's one other one that is a technically yes, but I'll, I'll explain why it's not. Really? Okay. Uh, um, boy. Okay. So I'm, I'm, I'm looking at a list of the number one overall picks and yeah, so many of them don't, don't actually move. I, the one, when you mentioned this to me, uh, earlier, the one that I, I threw at you that I felt pretty good about that you shot down for me was Brian Berard, um, who was picked by the Ottawa senators, but ended up bouncing the Islanders and then the Toronto Maple Leafs. And I, I figured he maybe got in on one of those, Battle of Ontario's, but uh, apparently not. He he missed that by one year, if uh, well, if I understand it. So no, he was on the Leafs team in 2000 that played Ottawa, but I believe that was the year that he had the eye injury, right? That was the, um, oh, so high yeah, stick year, yeah, which okay. happened in the so, regular season. So he didn't yep. play in the in the playoffs, and then he never played a playoff game against Ottawa. Okay, so uh, other than that, I'm gonna I'm gonna throw a few at you where I just I know a guy moved around a little bit. Yeah, um, that's your best bet, and uh, and that's my best bet. I'm going to start. I'll, I'll stay with Ottawa. Did Alexander Dague ever end up playing the Ottawa Senators in the playoffs? 
He did not, but here's a weird Daig fact that I uncovered while researching this, okay? Alex Daig uh, played 12 career playoff games. All of them were against the Buffalo Sabres. Oh, wow, okay. It's kind of weird, right? Like, yeah, because he, that, he that, only plays first, Buffalo. So he yeah. was still in Ottawa for that first series, and then... Yeah, uh, and then I think it, he, it was uh, Philadelphia. Uh, Philadelphia, yeah. Was, yeah, yep. and then okay. he played Buffalo, and that was it. So Alex Daig never played Ottawa. The the two others that, that jump to mind is is Pierre Turgeon. Did he ever get back to play he, Buffalo he in the playoffs? He, no, he didn't. Uh, okay. You know, he was obviously with the Islanders and the Habs and whatever, but no, never played Buffalo in the playoffs. Okay, and then the other one uh, was Joe Murphy, yeah, who was picked by Detroit, and I know he he was in Chicago for quite a few years. So uh, that Norris division did that ever serve up that matchup? Yeah, two so two times. Joe Murphy played against okay. Detroit in the playoffs with St. Louis in 1997 and with Chicago in 1995. So you're right. Yeah, yeah. Joe Murphy. Um, and I, listen, I'll just give you the other ones because they're really hard. Like, Are we going back? Yeah, we're probably going back a ways. Uh, one is, well, let me ask you this. Is there yeah. any since Joe Murphy? Yeah, that, there's one. That there's one wow, post okay. Joe Murphy. Post Joe Murphy. Okay, I'm just, yeah. I'm, I'm running down the list here. So it's not Madano, not Sundin. Wouldn't be Owen Nolan, Lindros. They, they didn't. So, did they well, play Quebec? What. No, but I'll tell you what. Okay. So Owen me, Nolan. The, Owen yeah. Nolan is the kind of asterisk one in that okay. he played against Colorado. Colorado, two times. yes. But okay. but that doesn't yep. really count. But but uh, Owen Nolan two times with San Jose played. Colorado, but of course he was drafted by Quebec. But yes, okay, okay. Um, all right, we did dig. We did. Uh, I, you, I mean, Ro- Roman Hammerlick bounced around. So many there you teams. go. Is that the guy? Okay, I, I couldn't even name ha- you all Roman Hammerlick's teams, but Roman Hammerlick played against Tampa as a member of the Islanders in a playoff series. I, you just said like that sentence was like eight words long and contained three different <laughs> things I have no recollection of, like. Don't remember Roman Hammerlick as an Islander. I do not remember the Islanders ever playing the Lightning in the playoffs. That is, uh, I, I'm going to trust you on that one. But wow, okay, yeah, yeah. I, I would not have got that one. <laughs> I think it was 2000. And it might have been the was it their Cup run? I, I I'd have to double check it, but I think 2004. Yeah, could have been. Uh, yeah, um, and then the other one. This is really random. Okay. Yeah. Okay. It's a 70s draft pick. Billy Harris See. got taken first overall by the LA Kings. Oh, sorry, by the uh, by the New York Islanders. Uh-huh. Uh, and then later played against the Islanders as a member of the LA Kings. Okay. When did that happen? Was that 1980? Was that the Butch Goring trade year? Yeah. yeah okay. Yeah. All right. Do, do you remember when, like, when I hear people complain about Wow, you know, you can't do one to 16 in the playoffs because, you know, what if your first round matchup is like Vancouver against the Devils? Like, I invite you to go back to 1980 when the Islanders and the Kings played each other in a first round, I think it was a preliminary series, and we're taking commercial flights. Like, come on. Yep. That was the, the, the NHL did that for, I think it was only two years after the, uh, the WHA teams came in and it was typical NHL. They were just sort of like, well, there's a problem. Uh, what's the easiest possible solution? Yeah. And they went with the one through 16. And yeah, that uh, that would have been a little bit dicey. But I, yeah, I forgot that. The, the Butch, because Billy Harris was obviously in the Butch Goring yeah. uh, trade. And that we all remember as the almost the, the platonic trade deadline acquisition. And 
but they those two teams played each other in the in the first round. So that is that is a good one. But oh, I, I would have never got that because if if anyone is like if you're a draft watcher, if you look at first round picks, everything before Mario Lemieux is either a superstar <laughs> who played who made the Hall of Fame with one team or Greg some Jolly. journeyman. Where you're yeah. like, what? Why was this? Was there even like, were there just no prospects that year? What happened? Dale it's, McCourt? Yeah. Yeah, it Greg is. Greg Jolly? It's, yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Who are these guys? So, so anyway, who, if, who's the... So th- those are the four. Um, okay. That was Eric it. Johnson. Right. Wow. Yep. Roman Hammerlick. Joe Murphy. Billy Harris. If you want to really stump your friends actually scratch that if you want to lose your friends yeah that's it yeah <laughs> that's the trivia question you ask them a, a guy taking first overall to play against his old team later on eric johnson roman hamlet joe murphy billy harris what and tragically we never did get Guy lafleur playing against montreal imagine if like with the nordiques yeah he had, uh, oh my goodness that would have just been that would have been game over but uh, yeah not to be Looking for an assist with your credit card, but can't get a hold of anyone? Luckily, with 24-7 U.S.-based live customer service from Discover, everyone has the option to talk to a real person anytime, day or night. Yep, you heard that right. You can talk to a real human and customer service at any time. Sounds like a real game changer if you ask us. Make the right call and get the service you deserve with Discover. Limitations apply. See terms at discover.com slash credit card. Looking for an assist with your credit card but can't get a hold of anyone? Luckily, with 24-7 U.S.-based live customer service from Discover, everyone has the option to talk to a real person anytime, day or night. Yep, you heard that right. You can talk to a real human in customer service anytime. Sounds like a real game changer if you ask us. Make the right call and get the service you deserve with Discover. Limitations apply. See terms at discover.com slash credit card. All right, time for a little Granger Things, brought to you by BetMGM, the exclusive betting partner with us at The Athletic. Granger Things means our pal Jesse Granger is back in the mix. Go on, listen, I heard you did a great job uh, sitting in the seat, in the co-host seat <laughs> last week, and, and really, you were the pilot. You were the pilot of this. Yep. He, he did a good job. In fact, uh, when I was asked afterwards if I would commit to a starter for, for yeah. next time out, I That's said, right. you know what, we're going to... <laughs> We're gonna keep it there, keep it close to the vest. But uh, podcast watchers did notice that the in practice, Ian was at the starters mic, so that yeah. that kind of gave it away. <laughs> yeah, th- this feels like a we, we got a Mike Smith Koskinen situation with us, the two of us. We're not. Oh, sure. well, I hope not. <laughs> so, geez, I mean, guys, go easy on yourselves. Guys, Holy smokes! Yeah, yeah. Uh, but hey, listen, Jesse, the the team that you cover, the Vegas Golden Knights, were certainly in the news cycle this week. And look, we we talked about it with you a few weeks ago. We're like, man. It was hard to envision a scenario where the trifecta of Kelly McCrimmon, Pete DeBoer, Robin Leonard all came back. Like it just, it felt like something was wrong. And if we were laying uh, odds down, we we're like, nah, some, one of those three wasn't going to come back. We know for sure it's DeBoer. So where do we go from here? Like, and like, and I know you've written about this, but like, like who are the names that are being bandied about in Vegas as a potential replacement for Pete DeBoer? Yeah, I mean, so to to kind of start on the expectations, I I think I agree with you. We all kind of expected that one of there there would be some changes made in Vegas. Um, what what surprised me was on Locker Cleanout Day two weeks ago, 
talking to Kelly McCrimmon, talking to Pete DeBoer, talking to the players, there was one unified message that had clearly been discussed by pretty much everyone in the organization, and that was the fact that they were blaming this season on injuries. They, I so so then to turn around and fire the coach is is a little odd to me. Um, and and Kelly wouldn't really give a reason for firing Pete. Um, obviously, that's partially just the human element. He doesn't want to pile on critiques on a guy that coached his team for three years. But I was a bit surprised that they fired Pete after they basically exonerated everyone of all blame this season, basically just putting it on the injuries, which I think is not exactly reality. But that's what they ended up with. They, they ended up firing Pete DeBoer. I think my opinion on it is I think Pete's a really good coach. I think Pete has a good system, but I don't know if they were the best match for the Golden Knights. I think their players maybe need a a different offensive system to be a little more free and score a little more goals when it really matters. Um, in terms of who they're looking at, it's funny because like Barry Trotz is the first name that everyone jumps to. And in most cases in hockey or sports in general, usually that's not the name that everyone immediately goes on Twitter and, and says, this is the guy they should hire. That never happens. But this is the Vegas Golden Knights. Um, this is the same team that the moment they lost to Montreal, Everyone said, well, I guess they're trading for Jack Eichel next year. And that's exactly what they did. And everyone said they were going to sign Alex Petrangelo in free agency. And that's exactly what they did. So this team has constantly gone big game hunting. They've constantly gone after the, um, I guess, the obvious choice as, as to what most people think should happen. So I would not be surprised at all if Barry Trotz ends up being the guy. Part of me, though, says, look, you, you you fired a really good coach in Pete DeBoer, who has, like I said, a good system that didn't really fit your team, and he couldn't get the power play going, and he couldn't the, the offense didn't flow as well. The defense was very structured and very good. They allowed the fewest goals in the league last year. So to fire him and then hire another really good coach who is also a defensive-minded coach who doesn't have a great power play um, feels a little weird to me. So so while Barry Trotz, I think he might be the best coach out there, um, I think he he to me, it feels too similar to Pete. Um, I think if you're going to hire Barry Trotz, you might have just been better off keeping Pete DeBoer. Um, but who knows? That, that might be the direction they go. I think everyone's looking at a lot of the former coaches. I think Rick Tockett would be a good fit here. Um, John Tortorella, I don't know, but he's a name that I've heard a lot. A couple guys that I've liked to kind of throw around out there um, that aren't maybe as on the radar, but I think are out of the box picks that would be a, a breath of fresh air. Kelly McCrimmon mentioned he thinks this team needs a new voice. Um, he thinks this four month off season is going to be good for this team to get recharged after four long playoff runs. And a guy named Ricard Gronberg, who ran the Swedish hockey team for a long time, and to me is is one of the biggest influences in the rise of Swedish hockey over the last 10, 15 years. Um, he's a great player personnel guy in terms of scouting and choosing players. He's great um, in terms of, I think he has very progressive systems and philosophies, which would be something that's, to me, welcomed in the NHL. Um, I'd love to see a fresh coach with fresh ideas. Uh, I There is a risk there. I mean, he's never coached on small ice. He's never coached in North America since he was an assistant in college. So um, I do think there's risks there, but that one's interesting. And then the one I really like, and I'd like to get Sean's thoughts mostly on this is Spencer Carberry, because he's a guy who won the ECHL coach of the year, took a team that hadn't won and turned him into a playoff team. Then he goes to the AHL, wins AHL coach of the year, took him to the play, took the Hershey Bears to the playoffs. 
Comes to Toronto, they had a middling power play despite having a ton of talent, which to Vegas fans sounds so familiar. So much offensive talent, but they can't score. He gets to Toronto, and not only were they the best power play in the league, they were the fourth best power play in the last, since 1990 um, in Toronto. Their power play was phenomenal, and from what I hear, he was a huge part of it. He ran that power play most of the year. So to me, he's a young coach who succeeded at all levels. He has a specialty in power play, which is the Golden Knights' biggest weakness. Um, There is a risk in hiring a coach who has literally coached one season in the NHL as an assistant um, and handing that guy a a, a team expected to win a Stanley Cup. But I think he's an out-of-the-box choice who who I think deserves at least some consideration. What do you think about uh, Carberry, Sean? It's it's an interesting one. I mean, the the first thing I got to point out is the power play was uh, excellent in the regular season. And then it didn't do anything in the playoffs. And that was a big part of the reason why they lost. Uh, you're right. I mean, that this is a, a, a situation where um, we always say coaching in the NHL, it feels like it's an old boys club. It feels like it's the right. same name cycling in and out and getting some, some new blood in there. Some, some fresh ideas is, is often uh, probably a, an efficiency. The team should look at. I would see a guy like that as being more somebody that maybe goes to a rebuilding team where right. you, and versus going to Vegas where all the pressure is on you and it's just, uh, you know, and, and you got to win right now. And look, Gerard Gallant got fired by this team. We're still not sure why. Uh, so I, you know, to go in as a, as a young guy like that, uh, that would be tough. And, and by the way, I had to laugh because as you were describing the coaching change, Literally at that moment, the news breaks in the NHL that Gerard Gallant has been nominated for the Jack Adams uh, this year. So um, that is a tough one. But yeah, you're right. I mean, think outside the box a little bit, but with Vegas, it does so often tend to be the big name that you expect. I got to say, I got got one other comment, and then I have just a quick question for you uh, back to Barry Trotz. My comment is, man, there is a very sick part of me that wants to see John Tortorella have to stand behind a bench and watch a knight fight with laser beams against, uh, you know, against <laughs> yeah. a big Kraken or whatever, every and, yeah. and sit there and pretend like he's into that. Um, one quick question is that, uh, you know, with, with the Peter DeBoer, one of the things hanging over all of this was the Robin Leonard situation, right? Leonard obviously was under Barry Trotz for one year with the Islanders. Do we have any sense like how that went? Did they, did they like each other? Did he, I mean, he had a good year, but, right. uh, but then he left for, uh, um, for Chicago and then on to Vegas. Um, I wonder how that plays in, or do you think Kelly McCrimmon couldn't care less what his goalie thinks and, you know, he'll, he's going to pick the best coach and then work the rest of it out later. Yeah. I think it's probably more likely the latter. Um, Kelly, I don't think Kelly cares what, <laughs> what his goalie thinks of the coach. I think this management has proven that they, they make the, the decision. And we even asked Kelly, like, are there dates that you have in mind that you would like to get a coach before? Does it matter to you if you have your coach before free agency and, and the draft? And he he shut it down real quick and said, absolutely not. He's like, we probably will have a coach before then, but um, it does not matter whatsoever. So it's uh, we're making the decisions. Uh, they'll coach the players we give them. The players will be coached by the coach we give him. Um, in terms of Trotz and Leonard, I haven't spoken with Robin about it, but I, I have to imagine there was a pretty good relationship there. Obviously, that was the best season of Robin's career. He won the Vezina, or sorry, he was a Vezina finalist and won the Jennings Trophy that year, allowing the fewest goals in the league at that tandem. Um, he did leave after that, but I think that was more of a Lou Lamarillo was was kind of moving on from him and and wanted to to bring in Varlamov uh, to have that Russian connection with his goalies. So I, I don't think necessarily... 
we can read much into him leaving after it. Um, I think, like I said, I think Trotz is a good coach. I think he would do really well in Vegas. Um, and I agree with you that while I like to bring up those out of the box, uh, ideas just because I think those names should be circulated in these in these conversations. Uh, I fully expect the Golden Knights to hire an NHL coach with previous NHL coaching experience and and probably one of those big names, whether it's Tockett, Torts, uh, Trots, one of those guys, uh, just because it's hard to justify to Bill Foley, to me, Bill Foley's an aggressive owner who does everything he can to win. I think if you're mm-hmm. Kelly McCrimmon, it's hard to it's hard to fire Gerard Gallant after winning a Jack Adams and taking him to a cup final and then fire Pete DeBoer after two conference final runs and then hire some assistant from the Leafs who's been in the league one year. It just seems like that would be a tough sell. Yeah, and there, there's also part of me going, oh, geez, a, an expansion team hiring an assistant uh, off the Leafs bench. What could go wrong? That uh, <laughs> That's foolproof, isn't it? Yeah. Sorry, Seattle. Dave Haxtell. Um Real quick on Barry Trotz, I want to ask you guys this, and, and we know that he's going to interview in Winnipeg, and you know maybe he'll get an interview with Vegas. My question is, if you guys were in Barry Trotz's position, would you wait to see how the second round of the playoffs shakes out? And I'm going to give you three teams that potentially, like usually you think about if a team gets to the second round, their coach is safe. But I'm going to give you three places where I'm like, I wonder what will happen. One is Colorado, where if they don't get past, you know, and again, Sean and I talked about this earlier, feels like they're headed in the right direction. But if for some reason they implode, I think there's going to be some some question marks around Jared Bednar. Um, Yes, Andrew Brunette was just nominated for the Jack Adams uh, Award. But look, if Florida doesn't get over the hump, uh, he was kind of thrown into that situation after what happened with Quenville. Are the Panthers potentially looking at something? And then Edmonton, you would look at, you know, I think Jay Woodcroft did a, a marvelous job taking over for Dave Tippett, but he's oh, he's got the interim tag. So if you're Barry Trotz, are you necessarily rushing into something with a Winnipeg or a Vegas, like somebody who has an opening now? Do you wait and say, you know what? Like I might want to wait and see if Colorado is is looking or if you know Florida might be looking. Yeah, I think for sure. I don't I don't think there's any reason to reason to rush. I wouldn't even be I wouldn't be surprised if Trotz doesn't coach next year and just takes the year off and and collects his salary um <laughs> that remaining year on his deal. Wouldn't wouldn't surprise me at all. Yeah, it's uh it, it'll be interesting to see because I really wonder with Barry Trotz being available, does that just grind the coaching market to a halt for a lot of yeah. these other teams where not just not just in terms of teams like the Jets and, and probably the Knights and, and maybe a few others where you figure Barry Trotz moves immediately to number one on their list, but even the teams where maybe you think, okay, th- this might not be the right fit, do all the other candidates now have to wait? Does everybody Is everybody just kind of sitting around waiting for the big name to go off the board and, uh, or to decide that, that, he's not, uh, that he's not interested? Because, um, you know, I'm, I'm curious to see, like, if I'm, uh, because, you know, if I'm if I'm a coaching candidate who's not Barry Trotz, uh, I might be sitting there going, well, right now, half the teams with openings aren't going to call anyone because they're they're waiting for Barry. And right. maybe I got to wait a little bit more. So does the whole thing grind to a halt or does some smart team and or coach see this as an opening to go in and, and maybe get an opportunity that, that wouldn't otherwise be there because everybody's distracted by the big name that's that's suddenly out there? Yeah, no, it's uh, yeah, it's going to be an interesting uh you know, storyline to watch, kind of that uh, that that musical chairs with the, with the coaches in the next few weeks. All right, so Jesse, we uh, would love to have you on to chat about some trends and and money lines and odds. Um, you can go ahead and tell us if you took the under in Calgary Edmonton 
Get one. That's okay. Yeah. Confess <laughs> up to that. Uh, as, but as a as a lifetime goalie who also <laughs> likes to take contrarian stances, I have been known to take an under or two in my life. Yeah. I, if I I don't bet on hockey a whole lot, but if I do, it's usually the under. Thank God I haven't taken many this postseason. Ooh. Yeah. So <laughs> mm-hmm. I mean, are, 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 we we talk so much about in the regular season. Hey, scoring is up, and every talk to ten different people. Ten different people had ten different theories on why the scoring was up, but. Uh, feels like we've also seen that sort of carry into the postseason to to some extent. Yeah, it's kind of insane. So it's it's funny what, when I was actually doing some research for this and looking up some numbers, I stumbled upon first story on top of Google was highest scoring NHL season in 26 years, but it's likely to stop in the postseason. Um, that was the headline. Uh, <laughs> I'm not going to out who wrote that because we've all had one of those stories, but uh, clearly that wasn't Sounds the case. Like one of mine. It was yeah. the highest. It was the highest scoring season in 26 years with 3.14 goals per game per team. Um, in the playoffs, that is up to 3.4 goals, almost a third of a goal higher in the playoffs than it was in the regular season, which again was one of the highest we've seen in a very long time. The over has hit on 60 percent of games in the playoffs, which I think. Maybe some people will hear 60% and say, oh, that's only 6 out of 10. That's like, how how strong of a trend is that? Well, this season, in a season where everyone scored, only two of the 32 teams had an over percentage of, of 60% or higher. So it's so hard to get 60% on a trend of over-under like that. So the fact that in, in playoff games where we've heard for... And, and we've seen for how long that when, when the playoffs get here, the defense ratchets up, teams don't push for offense, they play structured, sound in their own zone, you get a bunch of one nothing, 2-1 games. Well, not this year. Uh, there have only been six games with three or less goals in them, and there have been 14 with eight or more goals. Um, it's been insane to watch, and then obviously last night's game uh, put a cherry on it. Wow. That is... Uh- I, I got to admit, I was one of those saying this is not going to continue, and uh, here we are. Hang the hang the banner, man. We have we've ended the dead puck era. We fixed it. If, what did we do to fix it? Nobody knows. Nobody. Right. We didn't change anything, and it just happened. I'm sure this will this will stay like this forever. If you're someone out there wondering, like, if, if you're wanting the low scoring to come back, which I don't know why you'd want that, but if you're looking for hope, if you're looking for hope, or if you're looking for crushing pessimism, um, yep. the second round, that game last night, that crazy battle of Alberta, is the only over so far in the second round. The over is one and three in the second round. So the other three games all went under the total. Yeah. Right. Well, I mean, listen, Carolina and the Rangers are the two stingiest teams in the regular season. Right. So I, I would imagine you're going to see a lot of five and a half, uh, you know, as the over under in that series. Um, yeah, it's going to be interesting. All that's, right. that's the other thing is, is not only have all these games gone over, but when I'm going through the the games to like total them up so many six and a halves and, and in the regular right. season, it's usually like five and a half. Every once in a while you get a six and a half. The NHL is now to the point where almost every game, the odds makers are just putting it a six and a half because yep. everybody's scoring. It's crazy. So not only are they hitting over the overs have been higher on average. Yeah. And hey, listen, it's been a lot of, a uh, lot of fun to, uh, to watch all the, uh, the high scoring games, like Sean and I said earlier, don't think we're going to get another fifteen goal game. Those are those are anomalies, but uh, they're they're certainly fun. Listen, Jesse, always great to uh, to bring you by. Let's enjoy the week, and uh, we'll get you again next uh, next Thursday. Awesome, thanks for having me, guys. Right on. 
As you've probably heard by now, we've teamed up with BetMGM this season. We'll be using BetMGM lines to make all of our picks, and we'll have special offers for our listeners each week. If you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use bonus code THEATHLETIC, and you'll get a one-year subscription to The Athletic, plus up to a $1,500 first bet offer on your first wager with BetMGM. Here's how it works. Download the BetMGM app and sign up using bonus code THEATHLETIC. Make your first deposit of at least $10. Place your first bet on any game and claim your voucher for a one-year subscription to The Athletic. See BetMGM.com for terms. U.S. promotional offers not available in D.C., Mississippi, New York, Nevada, Ontario, or Puerto Rico. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. Available in the U.S. Call 877-8-HOPE-NY or text HOPE-NY 467-369 in New York. Call 1-800-NEXT-STEP in Arizona. 1-800-327-5050 in Massachusetts. 1-800-BETS-OFF in Iowa. 1-800-270-7117 for confidential help in Michigan. 1-800-981-0023 in Puerto Rico. First bet offer for new customers only in partnership with Kansas Crossing Casino and Hotel. Don't forget, if you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use bonus code THEATHLETIC and you'll get a one-year subscription to The Athletic plus up to a $1,500 first bet offer on your first wager. Don't just ride the index. Seek to outperform it with Fidelity Active ETFs. Learn more at fidelity.com slash active ETFs. Before investing in any exchange-traded fund, you should consider its investment objectives, risks, charges, and expenses. Contact Fidelity for a prospectus, an offering circular, or if available, a summary prospectus containing this information. Read it carefully. While active ETFs offer the potential to outperform an index, these products may more significantly trail an index as compared with passive ETFs. Fidelity Brokerage Services, LLC, member NYSE, SIPC. All right. Uh, always great to connect with Jesse Granger. And uh, yeah, man, just trying to think about who's going to end up being uh, in certain coaching seats is, uh, is, is a pretty fun exercise. And I'm sure in a couple of weeks from now, we might uh, might have some answers. Uh, got some mailbag questions. Before we get to that, though, Sean, I wanted to, to, uh, to ask you this because we got Florida Tampa in, uh, in, in the playoffs. And we're recording this on Thursday in advance of game two. So I'll, we might be having a complete different conversation uh, on Friday and into the weekend before game three on Sunday between these two teams. Uh, did, did anything change for you? Like, did you go into this series saying I'm picking Florida or did you go into the series saying I'm picking Tampa and like, or did anything about the way game one unfolded change your perception or view of this series? No, it, it didn't. I, uh, I, I didn't make specific round two picks, but in my original uh, bracket, I had uh, Florida versus Tampa in round two, and I, I did pick Florida uh, to win that series. So I guess I got to ride with that. But when we made our daily picks, I picked Tampa in game one. And uh, th- that was just a case of, you know, they were coming off a real tough series with the Leafs. Uh, and, and whereas Florida coming off a tough series tougher than we thought it was going to be with Washington, but probably was going to have to find another level. I mean, look, I, I, as a Leafs fan, I came out of that series with a ton of respect for, uh, for the lightning. And, uh, you know, I'm not, I'm not betting against these guys if I can avoid it. Um, it's going to be a big step up for Florida. Florida's a young team uh, hasn't done a lot of winning with this group and, uh, doesn't mean they can't, you got to start somewhere, but this is, uh, uh, it's going to be a real good test, and there's not going to be a lot of margin for error. Right? The, the Capitals gave them a good series, but the Capitals also let them off the mat a few times, and and that's not what Tampa does. So, uh, no, I'm I'm not surprised at all, and I, I think frankly we're we should all be at the point where Tampa Bay Lightning wins uh, no longer surprises, at least in the playoffs. So, we got a battle of Florida, we got a battle of Alberta uh, going on here in the second round, and I thought let me let me look this up. 
So I'm going to ask you this again, a little fun surprise trivia exercise here. In terms of interstate or interprovincial playoff series in history, Sean, mm-hmm. what is the what is the one that we have seen the most? And what is the one that we have only seen one time? I'm curious if you know the answer. Okay. okay. So, so there, there, there's one that we've seen the most and the one and then the one that we've seen the least. And I think, if I'm not mistaken, we have now officially, like, based on the teams that are in the league now, we have mm-hmm. had every possible combination of okay. interstate, I believe. Right. We've had all the Californias. Yeah. Uh, the New York would be tricky, right? Because you've got the, well, did the Devils count as a, no, as a so New York I didn't count the Devils. Count? Okay. All right. Uh, but you still got the the Rangers, Islanders, and Sabers yep. in there. Uh, Penguins, Flyers, we've we've certainly seen a few times. So what's the one that we've only seen? We've seen once? one one time. Yeah. Okay. Um, I will say, is it maybe the this? No, I was going to say Sabers and Islanders, but they back in the seventies, I feel like they crossed paths a few times. Sabers, Rangers, Sab- maybe Sabers, Islanders have met four times. Okay. Sabres Rangers have met two times. Okay. So there's uh all right. Now this is hopefully not going to turn into a geography thing on you because now I'm wondering what other yeah. combos have been. Obviously, uh Ottawa, Toronto, uh, we saw four times. Yeah. Um Quebec's no longer around. Montreal, Quebec uh, faced each other quite a few times. That, that, that was five times. So it's gotta be a gotta be a state. Uh and, and Battle of Alberta, by the way, this is the sixth meeting all time. Okay, only six, eh? Wow, yeah, that uh, yeah, that feels like it uh, feels like it would be more than that. Um, and okay, so let, help me on my geography here. What are the states where we've got Battle of Florida, various battles in New York, different combinations in California, and then uh, Pennsylvania would be yeah. the other one. Are there any others? Have I missed? Uh... Nope, I think that's it. And then uh, okay, yeah, so that that is it. It, it uh... must be one of the California ones that we've only seen once then. Yeah, am I right there? Okay, you're right, and it's, uh, and it's not sharks, kings. Uh, it's the ducks. I'm going to say ducks and sharks. Uh, ducks and sharks. We've seen twice. I guess ducks wrong. and kings. Ducks we've and only kings. seen one time. Okay, all right. Ducks and kings. We've only seen one time. So that's the that's the interstate matchup we've seen yep. the fewest in history. Okay, and then the one that we've seen the most. This might surprise you, because we haven't seen it in almost thirty years. The Islanders and Rangers. Yeah. 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 Eight um, times. They met eight times back in the day. They used and, to play all, even going back to the 70s. Like, even, yeah. uh, you know, obviously the, the Potvin sucks uh, era exactly. uh, of the 80s, but uh, even before then. Yeah. I'm not surprised. And in fact, um, not, not to tip my hand, I might uh, have a thing on this next uh, week, but their last meeting, I believe, was the 94 Rangers sweep. winning yeah. when they won the Stanley Cup. So. Hmm. Okay. There you go. Yeah. No, and, I'm not. Uh, but, I'm not surprised by that. But yeah, boy, and, and I didn't know there was going to be a geography test no, here. Yeah. Is, uh... <laughs> and Pittsburgh, Philly. By the way, they met seven times. Seven times in the playoffs. Okay. So that that yeah, that's right. Yeah, it's there. been a little while since the last one of of, of them, but uh, yeah. Did they not meet just in? Did they not meet just a couple of years oh, ago? They, yeah. Twenty eighteen. I, I want to say. Yeah, I guess so. I was, I'm thinking when I say that I, I'm thinking of the crazy series with all the goals. Oh, but you're right. I think there has been one since then. Yeah. yeah. Yeah, you're right. Yeah. You're right. All right. Uh, let's uh, shift over to the mailbag here. And you can text us 
or Texas, uh, you can leave us a voicemail. <laughs> Maybe you could try. You'll probably get one of those. You just sent the text to a landline uh, yeah. messages. Uh, you can leave us a voicemail at 845-445-8459. 845-445-8459. Or an email. The Athletic Hockey Show at gmail.com. Athletic Hockey Show at gmail.com. Let's take a couple in here. Uh, Maggie has written in via email and says, hey, been listening to the podcast since the very beginning. You guys, all editions of the show, you're my ride or die. Uh, with the Leafs' first round exit and the Panthers continuing to the second round, I have a question for you. Why is it that New York Islanders fans still hate John Tavares for leaving, but Philadelphia fans seem to embrace Claude Giroux? That's from Maggie. Because Islander fans are unreasonable, baby. No, I'm not done with you. Um, I, let me t- I'll tell you what. I'll, I'll tell you this. Let me tell you the story from an Islander fan's perspective. And I feel like I can do it justice because I have, I have heard it many, many times. Um, Islander fans will tell you that in 2018, with John Tavares approaching unrestricted free agency, the team wasn't very good, but they were kind of just on the bubble of the playoffs to the point where, uh, geez, do we do we go for it? Should we trade John Tavares now? Get get a windfall to 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 help with the rebuild that we obviously need. And in the again, this is the Islanders fan version of the story. John Tavares says to the Islanders, "Don't trade me. I'm not going anywhere. I want to be an Islander for life." And so the Islanders don't trade him at the deadline. They're like you know, five or six points out of a playoff spot. They immediately fall out of the playoffs. They miss the playoffs. And then jo- John Tavares says, ha ha, I lied. And he goes over and jumps to the to the Maple Leafs at the first opportunity, leaving the Islanders with nothing for their franchise player. Now, is that the way it actually played out? Uh, you, you can maybe guess on on how I viewed it. And at the end of the day, hey, it's, it's up to the Islanders to decide if they're going to, you know, if they were going to move them or not. Um, but Islander fans would tell you that John Tavares pulled the rug out from under them, that he said he was going to stay, and that it wasn't just lip service. It wasn't just somebody giving a quote in the middle of a season that he had to say that he he really made a commitment, um, and then he backstabbed them. Versus Claude Giroux, where that's a situation where Flyers fans understood he was going to be moved. They wanted him to be moved uh, because they wanted to see him go get a cup somewhere, and they wanted to get the pick some prospects they would get in return. And uh, he had his no trade. He he facilitated a deal to a, a team that uh, that made sense, and and they got a decent package back for him. And no betrayal, no backstabbing, no nobody walking away with with the team getting nothing at all in return. Um, so it all works out. So uh, that's that's the view. I mean, anytime I would just suggest as an Islanders fan, anytime the Flyers fans feel like more charitable and reasonable than you are, maybe. <laughs> Maybe you've gone a little bit far, but uh, that is the Islanders fan view of how the John Tavares thing, and that's why they still, to this day, boo him. To this day, they still have the um, the bad feelings because in their minds, they were told he was staying, and then he didn't stay. Got another email here. I got to read this one real quick. John, uh, Jay has something is broken up into two parts. Now, I was away last week, Sean. I was at uh, I was in New York with the family. Went to a Yankees Blue Jays game. Uh, Jay says, hey, Ian, first of all, sorry that the Blue Jays couldn't beat my Yankees. Seen some crazy foods at Yankee Stadium this year. Milkshakes with cannolis in them. Another one with a cheesecake on top. Did you get anything crazy? I can tell you, Sean, so I actually went in line. I did. This isn't too crazy, but they sold out of this. 
I wanted they they sell bacon on a stick at Yankee Stadium. Bacon on a stick. It's exactly why you don't need any advertising. It's bacon what on was a stick. the problem with bacon that we're solving by putting it on a stick? Because you know what, as as I reach a certain age, I'm trying to watch my carbs here, so I don't need the bacon in bread. Give me right. bacon on a stick. They they know they're okay. they're 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 coming after us. Uh, this this target market of the cutting out the carbs. I, I I got I was looking for a Michelob Ultra and bacon on a stick, uh, but they sold out of it. Uh, they sold out of it. But I'll tell you that I, I the craziest thing I ever ate at a ballpark. I was in Seattle a couple of years ago, and they have chili lime toasted grasshoppers. Oh my gosh! And I ate that that just got worse and worse with every new word. <laughs> Chili, like it started, I was perked up and then grasshoppers, toasted crickets, basically. And, and you, you, you had, I ate a whole little thing. I'll, I'll send you a picture. I'll send a picture. In now, the, is this uh, like, I'm picturing like a giant grasshopper. I'm assuming no, this is like, this is like a little bag. This is like, uh, it, it was a little cup of, and it, it, it almost like the size of like, uh, almonds or something like each one. Yeah. Uh, I know, and, I know, and people say that bugs are, you know, it's great protein and all of this stuff, but that did they were were they were they just out of everything else? Like were they out of hot dogs and nachos, or and that's what you no, went with? I, or? I try, I try to go for different foods when I'm at these different ballparks, you know. Okay. Try to lean into some things. So I'm thinking, what's you're a what's no- the, what's what's the review? What's like I, uh, I you got to break it down I like for us them. now? Like they they almost tasted like. Uh, like yeah, like almost like nuts or like chips or something, you know, just very crispy. Yeah, and the, okay. and the chili lime dusting was was perfect. Uh, but I, when I send you the picture, you're gonna be like, mm-hmm. "There's no way on earth that you would eat that." No. Way. Yeah. Okay. Um, I gotta see this. Okay. And the second part of Jay's kind of question here, and this will actually lead us right into this week in hockey history too. Jay says, "Hey." Uh, this week in 19, uh, 1988, the Oilers and the Bruins started playing for the Stanley Cup on May the 18th. I know that was the weird year where it was a technically a five-game sweep for the Oilers uh, because of that weird stuff that happened with the power outage. Um, the Oilers only lost two games in the playoffs that year in four rounds. Do you think that that's an unbreakable record? That's really Yeah, that's, uh, that, was, uh, that was a hell of a run, um, and that is the kind of – uh, you know, flip side to today when you talk about all, you know, all the parody and and everything. And back then, sometimes you were just like, yeah, the, the Oilers are winning. We all know it. And, uh, you know, we all get that. Uh, unbreakable record? I, you know, I don't know. Remember that the LA Kings of all teams, 2012, even though they were an eighth seed, came real close to to tying that because they went 4-1, 4-0, 4-1, and then were leading, I believe, 3 nothing yeah. in the final. Um, before the Devils then won two games and made everybody fly back and forth across the country a few times, um, and then the uh, then the Kings closed it off. So I, I wouldn't say unbreakable, but obviously very very difficult to break. And the the record for uh, most most games played in a series sweep of five is uh, is definitely one <laughs> yeah. that I think will uh, uh, will stand for a very long time. The Montreal Canadiens, I think in the first year that they won the cup in the 70s dynasty, Sean, they only lost one game that year. But okay, wow. yep. the, the caveat being they only played three rounds of best of seven versus, uh-huh. you know, Edmonton had, uh, Edmonton obviously had four rounds to play. And, and so yep. Edmonton went 
four rounds of 16 seven and games two. Too, yeah. Montreal went 12 and one. I don't okay. know which is more impressive or real. about the same, but anyway, I, I still say to this day, the one playoff record that will never be broken is New York Islanders winning 19 series in a row. Yeah. That is the, not just the, the hockey record. That's the, the pro sports record, 19 in a row, uh, you know, four, four Stanley cops and then three more series to get to the final in year five. We will never, ever, ever well, see that again. Well, think about this, just to put that into context, as we marvel at the current, uh, run of the Tampa Bay Lightning, they're not even halfway there. Like Tampa's right. won not Tampa's won nine straight playoff series, and we were yep. like, "Oh my god, this is unbelievable!" Well, you're not even halfway to the nineteen, so it's yep. uh, yeah, and you know, nineteen in a row. I mean, the the and I know people are out there listening to this, going like, "Wait, didn't the Celtics win seven titles in a row?" They did. They had to win two rounds back then to do it. So even yeah. they didn't didn't get up to the. 19 series in a row. And I think they only faced elimination in like one or maybe two of those series before, uh, before they ran into the Oilers, just absolute dominance. And again, depending on who, on what side of the, you know, fandom you're on, that was either amazing. And man, we'll never get that again. Those great dynasties, uh, those legendary teams, or you're sitting there going, man, that must've been boring as hell for four straight years to know who was going to win the Stanley cup year after year. Cause nobody could beat this, this Islanders powerhouse. But um, don't worry about it if you feel that way because we're never, ever, ever getting anywhere close to that. Yeah. I, I What, the only real brush that they had was 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 against, as we talked about this earlier, uh, great Islanders-Rangers playoff series was that one where, was it Ken Morrow who scored in overtime and it was like a, a game five winner-go-home situation and it's like... Yeah, it's like yeah. They took Glenn, him right to the right to the couldn't brink. Couldn't have been Glenn Hanlon, but it was like some random... Ranger goalie in there, and it was just like mm-hmm. a, a terrible '80s style overtime goal. Like, just yep. No, yeah. it's uh, it's we we will never see that again. No. So Jay led us off to a little uh, this week in hockey history, talking about how Oilers and Bruins met in the Stanley Cup uh, this week back in 1988. I want to just hit on one thing with you here. Uh, that's from May the 16th, 1996. Steve Eiserman scores in double overtime, a very iconic goal, uh, slap shot. Uh, that goes over the shoulder of John Casey to give Detroit a Game 7 double overtime win over St. Louis to put them into the conference final. If Here's my question for you. And I know you've got a lot of thoughts on that Game 7 because it was it was iconic and it kind of led to some, some interesting things. Um, if the NHL ever just... Now that they've got this partnership with ESPN, I always think about, I'd love to see some more 30 for 30s. Like NHL focused 30 for 30s. I think I'm putting the 1995-96 St. Louis Blues near the top of my list of teams that I want to see a full-out documentary. Like, what were the 1995-96 St. Louis Blues? Like, what Like what was going on there? And I think I they might be the most interesting team that didn't win a Stanley Cup. I Way back when I was at the Grantland, uh, so we're going back a ways, I started a series that I called 10 facts about a fun team where I would just write about one specific team that didn't win a championship or anything like that. Um, and the very first one I did was the 95, 96 blues <laughs> yes. because they are, just, I I'm absolutely with you. One of the most fascinating teams uh, of all time, the, the Mike Keenan situation, the Gretzky trade, um, so many ex Oilers, such an old team. Go look at that roster, even for the mid nineties. Was McTavish on that? Was Craig McTavish on that team? 
Craig McTavish was was on there at uh, uh, at some point. Um, there were uh, uh, Dale Howarchuk was on that team at one point, not by the playoffs. Uh, I think he had moved on by then. But uh, you know, Dale Howarchuk was on there. Um, it, all the ex Oilers, uh, the uh, young Chris Prager. It was just an absolute uh, uh, fascinating team. Um, and then you know, with all of that, not a very good team. They were basically five hundred. Right. In the regular season, back then, that still gets you in the playoffs. They go. That was also the year that Mike Keenan decided he was just going to start Grant Fear every game. That was it. He just wasn't going to use a backup goalie. I mean, these days goalies won't start back to back games. Uh, Keenan decided we we're going to do back to back to back to back, etc., all the way down to eighty two games, and and made it right to the end of the season before Fear uh, eventually had to miss a game. Uh, and then they go into the playoffs against the Leafs. And Nick Kiprios accidentally falls uh, directly on Grant Fuhrer's uh, knee and injures him. And then John Casey has to come in. They win that series and they go out and they play the Red Wings. And I got to say, uh, I, I'm, I'm mad even talking about this because a couple of weeks ago, I wrote a piece where I ranked every single team's most painful game seven loss, all 32 teams. And you're always nervous when you do something like that because you're like, which one am I going to miss? What am I going to overlook? And it was the Blues that I missed. I, I had a different pick for the Blues. Of course, it should have been this one. I apologize to Blues fans. Um, but the 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 other lasting legacy of this team, Wayne Gretzky bobbling the puck in overtime and Eisman comes in and scores. Right. The Red Wings go on in the conference final to play the Colorado Avalanche. And that's where the rivalry starts. That's where the Claude Lemieux hit from behind on Chris Draper. If it's If the Blues win, and they go on and play the Avalanche. We lose the greatest rivalry in at least the you know I would argue the modern history of the NHL, uh, Avs Red Wings. Uh, so that was kind of their parting gift to us that they they bowed out just in time on what I have argued is the the you know the greatest game the greatest shot I've ever seen and the greatest Game Seven overtime goal that we'll ever see by by Steve Eiserman and also the greatest camera work we've ever seen on a goal because man I could watch that replay. A, a dozen times, and, I, and we all could, unless we're Blues fans. Yeah, no, it's, uh, it's yeah, I'm with you. Like that, that to me is one of the one of the teams that I just would love to see, um, uh, like a like a, a full out investigative. Whether it's thirty for thirty, yeah, yep. I just I just want to know. Yep, Mike Keenan, they they have, and you want to talk odd records that that will never be broken. One from that team is uh, a guy by the name of Bruce Racine uh, was yes, the, was the this. Yeah. backup goalie. Played eleven games without starting, uh, and that was the only season of his career. So I mean, the record for both a season and a uh, and a career, most games played by a goalie without ever starting. Uh, he played eleven times because he kept coming in whenever Fuhrer. Yeah, had a bad game and had to get pulled, but they never ever started him. And then John Casey comes over late in the season. Uh, listen, before we wrap up, I have just sent to both you and our producer Danielle, Boy. um, via our Slack app, a picture of the toasted chili lime. Oh no way! Oh. Grasshoppers. Did you see these? You did not eat that. I did. So I just want you to describe these. It to our like, listeners. All describe right, them. I, when I was, uh, what I'm looking at is a picture. This is like when I uh, was in uh, my last year of college. I lived with four guys and uh, we didn't clean very well. And like every now and then, like one of the girlfriends would come over and be like, you've got to clean a little bit. And they would sweep under the couch 
And this looks like what came out when we swept under the couch. It's just uh, a little bowl of cockroaches and miscellaneous uh, other stuff. And it's, it's, I mean, it's smaller than I thought. I'll, I'll at least be happy about that. But there is no way. I, I'm not, <laughs> there's, there, that is not something that, that you eat. That's something you put in your pocket. And when you go to a fancy restaurant, you sprinkle it on your steak when you're halfway done and get a refund. That's, uh, that's awful. There's no, no way. I'm I, out. I'm, okay. I'm, it's a hard no for me. I'll tell you what, later, later today, I will tweet out this photo so our listeners can also get a sense of what I've just sent you. All right. So I'm going to, I'm going to leave it there. I'll leave it on a discuss a note where you're disgusted with me. That, yeah. that seems about right. All right. I really thought that, <laughs> that nothing was going to bother me more than the game seven Leafs, but, uh, yeah, this week, but you, but I've you've it. surpassed it. Yeah, there we go. All right. We'll leave it there. Thanks everybody for joining us for this uh, Thursday edition of the athletic hockey show. Uh, we'll get you again uh, next week. Jesse Granger, of course, will, uh, will drop by. Uh, in the in, in the interim, you can always email us your questions to the Athletic Hockey Show at gmail.com. Uh, would love to see some pictures. I'll take any of your weird pictures too. If you've eaten some weird food, I'm all in. Email them to the Athletic Hockey Show at gmail.com. You can also leave us a voicemail at 845-445-8459. All right. If you're not a subscriber with the Athletic, you can join us at the slash hockey show. Get an annual subscription for one dollar a month for the first six months. And you can also subscribe to the Athletic Audio Plus. An Apple podcast, get the bonus content from our entire network. You're going to start with a 30-day free trial. And then it's just 99 cents a month after that.